All right, I'm here again at the Scaling Blockchain Conference in San Francisco, the Monday after the EOS Hackathon. No idea when this is going to get published. It depends when I find time to do it, but hopefully it's one week from the time we have this conversation. So I found these two guys at the conference. They sounded kind of knowledgeable about EOS, at least this guy did. So what are you guys' names? Who do you represent? What do you guys do? My name is Miles Snyder, and I'm the CEO of Aurora EOS, a standby block producer on the EOS mainnet. Kevin Rose, head of community. Wait. What's your name? What's that? What's your name again? Kevin Rose, head of where, community co Were you on the podcast before? Yeah. You're a two-time guest. Yeah. You're the first two-time guest, people. Oh, really? Wow. Congratulations. Oh, I'm honored what do you to be do? here. <laughs> uh, Kevin Rose, co-founder, head of he community so for Peace New York. Yeah, I was like, wait, so I was like we've met, man. <laughs> no, we just talked. We know each other. Um, uh, we're top 21 block producer in the US mainnet. So today's topic of conversation, so there's a lot of uh, topics of interest for everyone within the ESIO ecosystem, but we all happen to have an interest in, in governance, and it's very exciting right now. So what about governance and what's going on with the arbitration, governance, voting as a whole? What gets you excited? So what gets me excited is the idea that we can put some structures in place now that we have um, a public referendum contract that's that's almost ready to to be deployed. So I feel like I've been saying it's almost ready for like you have. months. But, no, you have. but now it's actually almost yeah, almost ready. And then it's gonna be finally almost ready. Yeah, and then it's gonna be actually ready. But um but that that excites me because then we're gonna actually be able to hold an on-chain vote of token holders. It's not just voting for block producers, it's actually voting on more important things like adopting a new constitution. So the the fact that we're going to be able to do that is going to allow us to to um, focus more on on what a real EOS constitution looks like, rather than just like a temporary um, sort of interim constitution that we have right now. I have a feeling your answer will be very similar. But what has you the most excited about the current state of governance on the EOS mainnet? Um, well, it's that it's active is 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 incredibly exciting in and of itself because sometimes this is really esoteric. Uh, and, and can you know be boring stuff sometimes, but it's very very important. But but I think one of the one of the things that I think we're it's start, starting to dawn on the community is that um, what exactly governance is as it pertains to the US mainnet or blockchain in general is being better understood and more defined. Because I think the, there, there's a constant argument um, against some of the things that we're doing in governance, saying, well, EOS was a governed is is supposed to be a governed blockchain. So if you don't want to have this constitution and all these rules, then you don't want to govern blockchain. Mm -hmm. That's not true because governance is just a method to make decisions, and DPoS is governance. I really so Miles did a, uh, one of the speeches this morning. You're like the second speaker after Rob. I loved what you said. If, even if you don't have a governed blockchain, it is a governed blockchain. Every every single blockchain out there is governed in some way or another. The the thing that I think the, the crypto community kind of oversimplifies is they say your blockchain is only governed if you have some form of on-chain governance, 
which isn't true. Bitcoin is governed through a, a process. It looks different. It takes place off chain, but Bitcoin is governed. Ethereum is governed. They're all governed because they're 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 groups of humans that are that are interacting on a network. And when you put humans together in a network, they're going to figure out political processes to govern that network. That's why I was excited with the the hackathon winners last night. So is it, it's new Git, new Git, right, right. new Git. Yeah. Can someone else explain what they do? So I don't have to. Um, it's, yeah. So it was actually hot. I, I I was there near near the front row, but I was actually live blogging the entire thing. Okay. Oh, so you're, while you're, recording, you're busy. recording with one hand, typing for another, friends. and trying to listen and transcribe so is a little difficult. With my understanding of NuGet is that it's essentially a, a an incentivized GitHub. Uh, so, well, I keep interrupting. We keep interrupting each other. No, no. Do you want to do it? I no, go ahead. Yeah, it's, that's it's basically got, a decentralized version of GitHub where there's a consensus that needs to be reached for a code to be pushed to the, the platform or software. But, but also, one of the, the biggest, and this was their uh, primary use case that they talked about, was uh, incentivizing the maintenance and updates for open source code um, through through a token model. And now this is kind of how it ties in. So if you're if you're Bitcoin Core Ethereum. That code lives on GitHub and it has to get pushed live to the network. Who holds the keys to push that code live? And that's that's the governance mechanism of a non-governed blockchain. Mm-hmm. Well, I would I would say there's that layer, but there's a layer deeper, which is the miners will have to adopt a certain. They have to install the software, right? Exactly. And then there's a layer one deeper, which is that full nodes have to run the software. I mean, there's there's like a, quite a few layers to to that process. Well, so so I I think the thing sort of the elephant in the room that that we all want to talk about or maybe we don't want to talk about it but we should is what happened this week which is that ECAF the EOS Core Arbitration yes, Forum issued its first with that. decision that's exciting does that have everyone else excited um, um, does it scare you because now we open up this can of worms but it's a can of worms we wanted to open it's just so, I don't know if everything's happened the way everyone thought it would back in January. So I think it, it sets a little bit of a dangerous precedent. And, you know, I think when you say we, it was a can of worms we all wanted to open, well, I, I think there was a lot of people who thought that arbitration could be something interesting to add into a smart contract platform. It, but the, the way that it was actually structured with ECAF being a single arbitrator that, that sort of has, um, you know, perceived authority over the chain based on the constitution that was included at mainnet launch, although that constitution was not ratified by a vote of token holders, and it's not enforceable, and it contains a lot of, you know, provisions that, that, um, that a lot of people disagree with, and so we're, we're kind of in this weird position right now where ECAF has, you know, authority from a constitution that wasn't ratified by a public referendum, and they're now using that authority to enact decisions. And, and they're also not being compensated, am I correct? They're, well, they're, they're charging. They're charging. They collected ten thousand EOS in fees. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The, 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 if the the decision that was reached today cost the person who um, who had their account stolen four hundred dollars, and that was a discounted uh, rate that they got and that person actually had to pay all the fees because they were never able to identify the counterparty. Yeah, I mean, the fees and fees are fine. It's not. There's nothing wrong with that. You should be paid for work and arbitration costs. One hundred percent. Yes, yes, yes. But there's but there's a problem. There's a serious problem with the way that we talk about the Constitution with EOS it being open source. Uh, hold off. We're fi- okay. We got a round of applause. I don't know who's speaking right now, but, yeah, but they did a great job. It sounds like. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like they did awesome. All right, I don't know. We. No, it's okay. It's okay. Um, the, there is 
there is when we talk about the ratification of the Constitution, it, it is it is not required for the Constitution to be um, authoritative, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not I'm not saying that because that's my opinion. I'm saying that because man, everyone loves what you're saying right now. <laughs> EOS, EOSIO is open source software, and if you Zach go launch a chain, I can't tell you how to run it. And because Block One was not involved in the launch, it was it was launched by the EOS mainnet was launched by an uh, entrepreneurial group of individuals. Um, they they launched the ADP launch chain with the Constitution. That's it. That's what it is. And but the intention, because it was launched by people who want to do something amazing with this grand experiment, the idea is to make it interim because. It's it's not supposed to be forced on anybody, but but it, it very much is is enforceable. Does not need to be ratified, but we should amend it because of all the very very clear problems that um, that are with it. But no, Ke Kevin is, is totally right. He makes a good point, which is that like anyone could have launched an EOSIO blockchain with a different constitution, and given the way that the constitution works, uh, every user signs a hash of the constitution with every transaction. No, they don't. They don't. They don't. They, 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 I, oh, is that not is that not actually that how was how it was supposed to work? It was that was one of the ways that it was tried, but the problem was that it actually bloated the transactions to such a size that it would slow down the actual throughput of transfers in the network. That makes sense. Or, or yeah, or any actual network. But the, I was actually trying to work out a way to have explicit consent um, through the constitution through transacting the network the other day because there's a Genesis.json which is a number of um, uh, parameters that you launch with an EOSIO chain. That uh, the hash of that is the chain ID. So if you go to like a block explorer, blocks.io, yeah. you can see the chain ID. That's the hash of Genesis.json. Had we had, had we have put the constitution in Genesis.json, that hash, the chain ID, is signed in. Every, it, it is included in every transaction signature on the network. We could have done that, but we didn't think of that. And had we done that, we also wouldn't have been able to change it ever because you can't change the I chain think ID. In a, yeah, I, I don't know what channel it is. It's one of the ones we're all in. I, I think Thomas said something like that because he was, was Thomas Cox still with Block One at the day of launch, or did he leave? After uh, I'm not of, sure. Yeah. yeah, he he kind of he wasn't negative about it, but. In, in retrospect, things could have been done differently. And I, I think sure. that's always going to be the case in any yeah, business, yeah. any project. Yeah. And things were, the main that launched and things were released that maybe in retrospect weren't ready. And this is a great example of that. Is this something, since you researched it, that could be implemented through a referendum vote? Uh, having some sort of explicit uh, consent. consent to uh, some kind of contract, base contract. Um, uh, is it something that you think would even be worthwhile to do at this point? I, I think it, maybe, maybe not. But the, I mean, once we the referendum isn't about uh, code itself, right? Yeah. It actually, what the outcomes of referendum are not enforced so, in any, uh, by any code. It's like black producers take it as a signal and they go do it because that's what they've been told to do. It's a means to yeah. solicit the... Total. So there, there's two types of on-chain governance. There's what's called tightly coupled on-chain governance, which is what voting for block producers is, meaning you cast a vote on-chain and it programmatically determines the outcome. Sure. So, And then there's loosely coupled on-chain governance, which is what a referendum is, which is it literally provides a signal that the block producers then have to go and enforce. I, I think, I guess, when I think of referendum, I'm on, when I ask that, 
uh, it was as if that update couldn't have been done without a referendum. I, I liked your blog post you wrote about the precedents uh, being set with the refer with the RECs. Right. Because it involved the movement of funds. Right. So even without a referendum, we could have made all kinds of updates to the chain, and we do. We've updated over 35 times. Yep. So, I guess... And, and if we followed the white paper, by the way, we would have had to have every single update be a referendum. And I think maybe and that's a 30-day delay mindset. period, right? We would, we, would be, we would be slowed to a halt in terms of the development of the chain. It'd be, it would be bad. But you know what I think is an interesting conversation to have? It's like, what is the function of a constitution in this sense? If it's not going to be that users sign it with every transaction, um, and we also sort of realize the extent to which a lot of these things aren't really enforceable, I kind of think of the constitution as like a, a social signal or sort of a shelling point by which we can define certain standards. And yes, it's not enforceable, but it sets expectations. I, I was having a conversation with Haley from um, EOS Cafe Block, and he brought up a really good point, which was that going into this first referendum, it would have been hard for the community to decide what the threshold for votes is without having the constitution to look to to say, hey, this is the number that we set, this is how this is how we're going to go do it. So it's things like that that I think are useful. Exactly, yeah. So I think it, it's things like that that are, that are that are useful about it, but I think the, the scope of the constitution, when we think about drafting it, we have to think about, you know, you can't include all these different provisions for, for things that are, you know, unenforceable or unknowable yep. or... or I, I think the constitution be as simple and basic as possible, bare minimum. Like, if we want more features, those could be opted in on, on, on a user-by-user user basis. Yeah. I think it shouldn't even be called a constitution because... What should it be called, Kevin? Yeah. Well, well, I what, think what, it what, what term do you want to coin? Uh, <laughs> we, we, we wrote an open-source proposal for, um, for on-chain governance, uh, the EOS platform user agreement. So the word and I recommend everyone go read it because it's really, really well done. Thank you, Miles. Uh, the, I, the word constitution is... is Inflammatory. It's a very powerful it's, it's, word, it's, it's, it's especially like, in the United States. Yeah, but but and we we take it a certain way. But that word means something very different in Sweden. It means something very different in China. It has different connotations. Culture applies meaning to it. So for that reason alone, there's been a lot of confusion and misunderstanding about what it is meant to be and uh, what we're doing. So a user agreement or a platform agreement that, of sorts. That was how I think Dan way before, like, way before made that launch, like, he, I think it was the Virginia Tech video when he was talking to the students and he was explaining what a constitution was. He simplified it and it's your terms and services agreement that you see and you skip and click OK on every every site you probably use. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's kind of an issue though with the constitution. It just, even though it's unenforceable right now, whenever you sign a transact, usually before you sign a transaction or you sign a new contract, it pops up and it's like... Well, depending on what wallet you use, yeah. they, they sometimes show it. But yeah, they, I mean, it, I think the language that was used in the original ESIO white paper was a peer-to-peer terms of service agreement. Um, but I, I do think that it should be, I agree with you, it should be as simple as possible. It should serve as sort of a shelling point for how we make decisions. It should define the parameters that, that um, we use for, for an on-chain referendum. And it should maybe define certain standards about block producers and, and how they should be expected to behave. But I think we must realize that these things aren't enforceable unless the community decides to enforce them. So, including things like 
like everything that's deployed on EOS IO must be open source. Well, we, we saw things that were deployed that weren't open source and they were allowed to run and there was no one really cared to try to enforce that. And so it, in my opinion, that sort of undermined the legitimacy of the document as a whole when you had these things that were just being, you know, done out in the open that went against this constitution and no one was doing a thing about it and no one really cared to do a thing yeah. about it. Do you guys ever worry that nobody cares about this. I mean, I know within, the, like, there's a hardcore ES community, and the, the, every, they're all here this weekend. <laughs> like, we care about this stuff. But does, does it bother you to know that your average person probably doesn't? I think, I think that the Constitution can still be useful without uh, the vast the vast majority of users who are on EOS probably won't even touch the Constitution or really know about it, which is why I think it mainly needs to concern how major governance um, structures are in place and then things around what block producers should and shouldn't do. But beyond that's, that's the, the biggest part. It's, the, it's what block producers should and shouldn't do because we're, we're, we're using... Now, DPoS isn't... I mean, it's, it's relatively new, right? Uh, I mean, it's not new. It's relatively new. But it's the, never existed at this scale before, exactly. certainly. So, the, but people that are used to proof of work, proof of stake, where it's completely permissionless enabled uh, for a validating node, um, we need to set the expectation of, of what these 21 validators are meant to do. What's their job description? That's an incredibly what, what, important what thing. It, Miles, yeah. define, if, if you read a job description, you're hiring a new blog producer. <laughs> They, they just get an instant pass in. When you write the job description, define what a block producer is and what their role is in the community. And everyone's definition is going to be different, but what's yours? Yeah, so in my opinion, block producers are independent companies that are hired to provide infrastructure as a service. They're hired by token holders to provide infrastructure as a service to the EOS network. Um, and in order to be hired, they need to prove that they add value to the EOS community in whatever way it is. So the, the role of a block producer can kind of be divided into two parts. The first part is just running the infrastructure. So you need to be able to safely, securely, reliably produce blocks, um, you know, stay synced, all of that stuff. I love this. I know, they're just going crazy. Um, and then the other half of it is whatever you choose to do to, to bring value to the community and earn votes as a result. Which so, isn't required. And I, but, but, so that's like my definition also, and it's probably very similar to yours. Yeah, I mean, but but our is that our definition or is that the official definition? Because there is not an official definition. So I, the word, I love the word official when we're using oh, yeah, it. Who says because it's official? There is nothing that is official, nothing. except the code that is running. And even the different versions of code that's running on block producers will vary. There is no official GitHub repo. There is no official central repository for uh, developer materials or education. Every block producer is using their own repo, or the mainnet repo, or the EOS official mm -hmm. repo. So the, I would say that at, a, at the most basic level, um, because prior to launch, people debated about what block producers should do a lot. Yeah. And there were certain models that they said they should do nothing but produce blocks. Yeah. And, well, uh, Miles and I vehemently disagree with that because evidence by our... I also our, disagree with it, but who are we to say that someone's wrong if... if well, is at the, at the bare minimum. It's the voters. Yeah, I was going to say the, the market. The market will tell us what a block producer should and shouldn't do. So you have you if you're a block producer and you come forward and say all we're going to do is produce blocks. We're going to only do infrastructure. We're going to burn everything that you know that goes beyond our infrastructure costs. Something like that. And the voters decide that that's what they want. Well, the market will tell you that. But thus far, the market seems to be telling us that what voters want are block producers who can provide good infrastructure, but also bring value in different ways. Whether that's education, building tools, actually building dApps, investing in dApps, like all sorts of yeah. things. And, but the, the, the block producers that were advocating that model, um, 
they've abandoned it silently and I know they have because they they started doing those value add tools because that's we block producers are the most perfectly positioned organizations to build products that inherently cannot be monetized I, no but I think you're a super user yeah but yeah. the uh, the other thing is that when you look at what Depos does is it currently EOS pays I think they the network pays 81 block producers currently and then there's at least another uh, you know at least a hundred of them who are working you know the, the between 81 and 100 who are working for free and so you've got a hundred independent companies all over the world that are adding value back into the ecosystem and they're doing it giving away stuff for free giving away good like products and services for so free it, it is, so it is free to the user but it, it has, there's a cost to, to make it and then they're being compensated back by the network so well in a way all the users are collectively paying goods. it through inflation yeah. all the token holders are collectively paying for the block producer goods and services pro rata through inflation last time I checked that EOS was deflationary in that more tokens are being taken out of circulation into accounts like EOSIO.names like which is what you pay into when you purchase short names uh, RAM fee that kind of thing there's there's it was more than 1% annually yeah wow. there, are, there are more tokens in those accounts than are being paid out to block producers as it currently stands there so are few, fewer tokens in circulation now than than at launch so more more going into these they're not being burned but they're getting put into an account that nobody has access to and depending on what happens with those it could be deflationary theoretically yeah yeah yeah. do you remember do you guys remember when there was a I think Dan put it forward but he was like at one point he was like you know we might be able to pay block producers in the future based off the, the RAM market and have zero inflation, but block producers will get paid based off the internal market. I, th- I think that had to do with the fact that there's there's no actual direct economic incentive to scale RAM out. You don't, as a as a as a block producer, you're not paid more directly to deploy more RAM. Uh, but in effect, you indirectly are in that if you weren't able to scale, you the idea is you lose votes, and that is that directly equates to money. But I, I don't remember exactly what the proposal was. I think it, it, it might. Might have been one of those things that just got thrown out in Telegram, like as an idea. And he, he's good at that. He's good at that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there's so much information out there that it's, it's like you guys' jobs as blog producers. It's not like but a I, job, but it kind of. I, I want to. I want to touch on that too. I hope that isn't always the case. I know that it's it's block producers should be doing it now because there's a void to fill. But the the goal is that the knowledge will spread out. The, the different models to be able to make a living while working on EOS. I think make a, li- so make a living or be full-time. I think that that's kind of the differentiator here is most people who aren't able to dedicate a significant amount of their lives to just following everything that's going on because there's an unlimited amount of things ongoing all the time. Well, you could follow either Miles or myself uh, our weekly digest and you'll get everything you need. Or, or just, or, or I, I retweet all the good stuff. You can follow, <laughs> I'm a Twitter editor. I don't even tweet that much just myself. I just blockchain retweet. <laughs> but I actually think that I think that at scale if we're talking like five or eight years down the line that block producers are going to be focused a lot more on infrastructure just pure infrastructure like running data centers making sure their connections to one another are top notch but I think right now early in the network these these value adds are, are so much more important huge. so we're really close to referendum being live yes which is going to show the wills and desires of the token holders as a collective group if we can educate them to know 
that they should be participating in these votes and educate them to do it in an informed so, way. There, there are groups building marketing materials that can be shared easily to start to describe how the process Let, Let's kind of backtrack just in case someone watching or listening isn't 100% familiar with referendum. Do one of you want to explain what it is yeah. and then what the threshold is for a passing vote? Yeah. So referendum is, is very simply the ability to solicit opinions from the token holders and block producers to be able to then act on it. There are a number of things right now that block producers won't do very simply because they're unsure of whether or not they should based on what the stakeholders really want. We're, we're, we're exposed to a, a vocal minority and I'm assuming it's a minority because there aren't, you know, 500,000 people in Telegram, mm -hmm. uh, although it seems like it sometimes. But but uh, so that, that's pretty much what it is. It's a, it's a signal, um, the way you described it before. What was the other term you used? Loosely coupled? Uh, loosely coupled. Loosely coupled. Uh, I like that. On-chain governance. I think that's, that's actually a term that I think we need to credit to Vitalik Buterin. Oh, okay. Yeah. If we put up to referendum whether uh, the ES community, or at least the everything ES community, like this set. <laughs> I think we'd get 100% approval without a doubt. Yeah. What is this thing? I don't know. <laughs> I'm under an umbrella. <laughs> There's, there's also a little lizard in the bucket over there. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I told Max, who, who's uh, behind the camera right now, I usually don't have a cameraman. I'm the cameraman, I'm the script writer, I'm the producer. <laughs> this is great. But uh, I told him we have to, like, before I publish the first uh, thing we recorded today, I have to have, like, a B-roll of, like, the environment as a whole. I think you kind of have to see this whole, like, warehouse-like space to get this, it's this bizarre. weird it's, uh, There's a lot of different, anchor. like, environments contained within yeah. this different, this warehouse. There, there's a the threshold though yes. is that um, 15 so for something to be considered passed yes. right for black producers to say all right that's valid we're gonna go do that 15% um, of issued tokens must stake the same way that you would stake for resources so lock them up um, to and vote affirmative for something and they must continuously remain staked for 30 days and then there is also a spread between um, the affirmatives and the negatives and it's like 10% uh, is the difference but actually the way it's written is rather mathematically vague. So even amongst the block producer Sounds confusing already. It is confusing. But all you need to know is that you're voting yes or no. Uh, and then the, the tally can happen afterwards. And then you can follow up to see what actually happened. But it all happens within a 120-day period. If, if not, it expires. You gotta go and, and so where do those parameters come from? They come <laughs> yeah, from the like, Constitution, right? Yes. And so that's, that's sort of, that was my point earlier, which is that's kind of one of the useful things that you could get from a Constitution is having those parameters. And say we decide that, you know, it's we, we really should have a 25% threshold. Well, then we update the Constitution, and then those are the new parameters that we can look to. Yeah. That's useful in a, con in a Constitution. Absolutely. Saying, um, you know, no user can own more than X amount, totally unenforceable, totally unknowable. Saying, um, you know, uh, everything has to be completely open source, totally unenforceable. Don't so, lie under penalty of perjury. So a lot of these rules... Don't lie. Are, yeah, every don't do it, but... Yeah. <laughs> ...is going to be gameable. So... Uh, we're seeing uh, the system networks being like pushed to their limits by all these dice and gambling games, and we're hearing rumors that they, they might launch a proxy or their own node. Uh, well, they have launched proxies. Yeah, they have launched proxies. So, what are, one you, of, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, DApps as proxies so not, is so brilliant. I, I like how you said DApps. Like, I, I think the, the stigma is that a lot of the most popular DApps right now happen to be gambling. Hey, that Satoshi Dice was what got Bitcoin, well, Silk Road probably got Bitcoin uh, popular in the first place, but Satoshi Dice was the first like app to take off on Bitcoin. So, once referendum is live, what are you? What do you think is the first thing that's going to be passed? 
and uh, the first serious things. I, I feel like there might be like some weird like meme funny things that pass. Oh yeah, there's for sure. Works. People are well, yeah. And people I are gonna put. A, I will 100% vote on. Absolutely. That stuff. I would think that the first thing would uh, possibly be the the fees for the Rex yeah. because I don't know if we're quite ready in terms of a new constitution to make that decision uh, right after referendum goes live. Also, I would like to see a little bit more time between the time the referendum contract is live, tested, ready to go, and voting on the constitution. Because voting on a constitution is one of the most important decisions that we're going to make as a community. And I want to make sure we really educate people about what referendum is, how they participate in it, why it's important, before we put that vote to referendum. And we, we have we have five versions, five competing versions in multiple languages from coming from communities all over the Wait, world. Wait, let's talk about it. So we've got the existing constitution, we've got Block 1's proposed V2, yeah. we've got the EOS New York uh, platform user agreement, yeah. we've got the Blockhead Capital um, proposal that came out last week, and yeah. what's the fifth one? Uh, uh, EOS Amsterdam, and then also a group of token holders, I think token holders, community in uh, Korea, South Korea. Okay. So, so more with that. referendum, so anyone in the community could propose to the referendum. Is there that's, a, that's is there a cost to propose? Right now, there's not. So the referendum is not, also, it's also not official, right? There's nothing that's official in EOS. Yeah. It is built by people who saw the need to build it, and they're, and they're putting it together. Um, but they kept it very open-ended, so there are no filters. There's It's just a contract, and then the, the front-end UIs have to build around it. So actually, that's what they're doing right now as it releases into beta. So the referendum contract's available in beta, but we're not doing anything with it yet, so we have time to build the portals to actually yeah. interact with it. So like Blocks.io just recently integrated with like yeah. referendum stuff. So wallets, block explorers, you know, mobile mobile like wallets will I think hopefully all start to put this. So if I make a proposal to the referendum, do I have to have code or am I am I proposing just text? Someone's gonna make a UI to, to well, yeah, interact with your contract. And yeah. then when that's I make that proposal. proposal, let's say it's it doesn't have code yet, it's just basically proposing if everyone thinks it's a good idea so the code could be developed. I'm writing the proposal in English, uh, but I need to get a 15% consensus reached. To get that, I, I might need a global scale. Who's translating? Is it my responsibility to translate it? It will be the responsibility of the proposer to get traction for their proposal. Okay. Yeah, if you want change, you gotta, you gotta fight for it, uh, pretty much. And yeah, it probably is gonna be up to the proposal proposer to, to put it in different languages. I mean, I'm sure the community will step in and, and translate a, things and stuff. It's like a very strong proposal, it makes sense to everyone. And, yeah. and I, I really do think that the first thing that's going to be uh, passed is Rex, and I just want to touch on like what that is for the viewers in case they don't know. So Rex is the resource exchange. It's basically a way to try to decrease the stress on the network while making access to resources on the network more available to for developers. Uh, and you as a token holder can stake your tokens to Rex and receive dividends back from the people that are leasing the resources for those tokens. That's what's going on. Um, and the thing that we're going to vote on is that there are network funds. So those EOSIO.RAM fee, which is all the fees that come from RAM purchases and sales, uh, EOSIO.NAMES is the um, the total number of uh, tokens for people buying the short names. That will also go into the dividend pool, but those no one has the authority to actually move those funds yet. So this that's what we brought, So the last time Kevin was on the show, it was a long time, it was before we even did videos for, we discussed the worker proposal fund, yeah. which has kind of been put on the back burner right now, but it was kind of put on the back burner because we couldn't do anything with it even without 
without a referendum. It's kind of time to vote on it. So that's, that's everybody's made decisions and then they'll go stake a vote. So during that discussion, I remembered, so all, all of this inflation, uh, there was a four, there still is a 4% inflation that's been occurring since the launch of the mainnet. And uh, the WPS was meant to use that 4% inflation. But you, on that uh, discussion said, you're, you were of the opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, of just everything that was accumulated in that 4% pool, burn it, and then start fresh as soon as the WPS passes. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's With very, 4% inflation? No, 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 no. So, All, we, there, there's this faucet, and you don't have to keep it running unless you have a cup underneath it, basically, is the idea. So, if you have a proposal that uh, is passed, turn the faucet on, fund the project, turn it back off. Uh, you know, and never exceed a certain threshold, set the threshold. Right now, it's 4%. Uh, but the reason it hasn't really taken the back on, on the back burner. It's just that people, I think they've made their mind. I know up people are still it. working on it. And if you if you it, had to guess, and if it were put to uh, vote tomorrow, do you think people would uh, pass it or burn it? Block one. Ha Dan Larimer has said that they will not deploy uh, their capital onto a chain that utilizes a worker proposal. So I would say that it's probably dead. I hope that it's not because there are very good use cases for this. Like developer trainings 100%. all over the world. We've, we've had this discussion, but um, you know, it is, it is a... It we is could a have a whole track. podcast about WBS. Yeah, yeah. Apparently you guys already we did, have, but we're overdue yeah, we for another one. So where it tied back in is with the Rex. So everyone agrees the Rex is a great idea, and, and with the faucet to the RAM trading fees and, and the name auction fees, I think that we all agree. I think that that'll be one of the easiest things to pass on a referendum. Yeah, because people will get paid more. <laughs> but it, would you like you to have to have for additional pieces to that? Those mm -hmm. funds are huge right now. Mm -hmm. Do you? Yeah. What do you do with the how do you, funds? How do you prorate the distribution? Yes. Things like that. I've been thinking about that myself. I, I don't have. I don't think. I I don't think it pulls it all in. I think it's it it just goes in there from then on. But then, so you burn what's existing. Uh, I don't think anything happens to it at all. So then burn it. So we, we, yeah. we're saying like everyone would probably agree to turn the faucet on to put the, so start pumping those fees into the wrecks. So would that proposal include what they want to do with all of the funds sitting in this savings account? I don't think so. I think these proposals should be incredibly simple. Yes or Specific. no Specific. Yeah. Like, so like the, you, this is the direct effect of what you're voting for. Interpretive statement to outline it. And go. So don't moving forward, all of these fees will go. To the Rex, but we might still have these savings accounts with all the money, and that would be a separate referendum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, could, I could get on board. But with the that. important thing is that we set the precedent that network funds or these decentralized accounts with tons of money in them not be allowed to be touched without referendum. Block producers should not; they do not have the authority to touch that. We need to establish that precedent. So, what are you guys' opinions? What do we do? It so we. I could say with pretty good certainty that the community is on board with putting these funds, directing them towards the wrecks. What do you think we should do with these millions of dollars that are still in these accounts untouched? Do you think we should burn them? I think that... Um I haven't thought about this a ton before, but my sort of gut reaction is that they should be burned and then starting from the time that we approve the RECs, all the new fees for from RAM name auctions, you know, potentially future uh, internal markets that exist in the future should be added to those books. I think you're going to run into too many complications around how to distribute those existing funds. Um, but but I'm not I'm not sticking to that answer. I want to think about so it more. So once you decide to burn them, they're gone. Yes. While they sit in this account, no one can touch them, but... The 
that they're at least there. Yeah. What about you, Kev? I. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think that their existence devalues. I know that mathematically, it, it does dilute the value, the total value of the network. Um, but I, I don't think that we're dealing with totally rational markets where that's applying all the time. I, I, I can go Very irrational market. I would yeah. Say. yeah I, I, burning I, I, burning I, those I, funds I, isn't gonna isn't gonna cause directly cause the price. Sure. Of yeah. Numbers. But sure, burn them because I, I think it's very unlikely we do anything else with them. No. no it, Knowing just the crypto community, burning them probably would actually do something to the value, but it wouldn't be deserved more, because more, yeah. they're already well, locked up. It's, it's actually another thing to consider with the worker proposal system because it's not ju- you're not just saying, okay, we're going to have more inflation for the worker proposal system. The idea behind that system, at its best, should be that the additional value brought to the network by the, f- by the projects that are funded by the WPS will add more value to the network than the value that's taken away by the dilution uh, cost of that. And now, whether or not that's actually going to be the case is is for people to determine. You know, there's uh, there's like 12 or 13 black producers that are funding a, a worker proposal right now. So there's uh, there's an issue with... Um, are you part of this conversation? I don't think so. I didn't get the input. Or it might have been one of the many Telegram groups that I haven't checked in a while. I, so I saw it in Telegram where this guy put out a proposal and said, I will build this solution and it solves a real problem. Uh, and here's how much it costs. And, you know, 12, 13 block producers said, yeah, okay, let's do that. And, it, you know, it was, it was not that much. But that, that's kind of, in effect, what working proposal could do. The only problem is that without manual controls over it, without that decision-making, like block producers deciding, yes, that's a good thing to, to back, or no, it's not, it could very easily be pilfered if it's managed by stake weighting, you know, which, again, we had an entire <laughs> podcast about whole, that. Yeah. Um, but then again, this is a proof-of-stake system, and your ownership is proportional, you know, your, your say is proportional to your ownership in the network, and that's how it's designed to work. So any other way of structuring the WPS system is could be perceived as illegitimate in my opinion. We, we got back to the WPS somehow. Yeah, every time Kevin's on the show, yeah. well, we somehow get to the, back to the WPS. I can't believe we haven't talked about this yet, but there there was a, a watershed moment in, in EOS um, yesterday where the major, a majority of block producers, 15 out of 21, voted to abide by an arbitral award issued by ECAF to change the owner and active key in account and revert ownership back to a claimant in a dispute over the ownership of said account. That happened. Um, and my, my opinion on this is that it. the PR damage, um, so I, I actually don't agree that this should have been implemented in the first place, and I don't think that um, any single party on EOS should have this kind of authority but specifically, I think that the PR damage to the EOS community that will result from this taking place is going to be far worse than the value that that was gotten from, um, you know, a, a, a thief being thwarted. Yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. And full disclosure, we signed it. We we took a couple days to do it, and you know, the, there's two sides to this. For us, the first is we. We want block producers to be predictable. We want to know that they're not going to throw out the process, however underdeveloped it is, whenever it suits them. So that's that's why we signed it, and and despite our personal opinions about it. Um, but beyond that, this this is an underdeveloped system. ECAF is directly 
damaging the EOS ecosystem, it should be removed. Absolutely. And I, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for the volunteers who have been running it, but they are volunteers. Like, hey, look them in the eyes. Well, because I want, I want you to see it in my eyes. I'm being genuine. They, they are volunteers, but it's time to, to, to lay it down. All right? So, I, I totally agree with Kevin, and I can sort of talk about this and, and, and give my opinion without having to have been in the position that you guys were in, which I, you know, I understand that that was a, a tough position, and I totally understand your reasoning there. Um, I think what's important is that we, we realize that this is an issue and we as a community fix it. ECAF, what it does is, in my opinion, it kind of breaks the security model of DPoS, because DPoS is designed to have distributed, it, it really is, it's designed to have distributed control among all these different block producers, and if you were trying to attack EOS and you went after a block producer, well, it's not going to do anything because the system is literally designed to withstand that. It's anti-fragile. It's anti-fragile. So you have all these different all these different parties, and if you attack any one of them, then nothing happens to the system as a whole. What ECAF does is it creates a single party within this network that has, you know, supposedly binding decision-making like authority. executive power that, like, it well, they, I mean, they don't go out and try to exert influence over someone or something that hasn't requested it, so that's important. And they, they are trying to decentralize themselves by having their arbitrators elected, or rather affirmed by the community, but they've done none of that. They've made no improvements or any attempts at communicating with the, with the community. Most people don't know who is behind ECAF, what they do. If you reach out to ECAF for a case, you get an email back, and you know I've actually talked to people who have gone through this process, and they had to reach out to other block producers and other people to say, we don't know if we're getting scammed or not because they asked us to make a deposit, and we can't tell if this is actually from ECAF because we don't know who the arbitrators I think, are. I think a big part of this is compensation. So when you said earlier that they did get compensated for solving, they would get compensated for solving a case, they get, what, a percentage of the... No, no, no. They, they have their fee schedule. They have a fee schedule. So it's like if, I wanna, if I want to have an arbitration case, I have to put money forward even if I was wrong. What if I don't have money? Well, then, you're, then you're you can't do it. You're excluded. The other I mean, thing is arbitration that... Works. But here's the other thing, and I think it's in this... So I, I read all six pages of the, the report that they put out. Yeah. So in this particular case, um, someone had their keys fished from them as they moved from their ERC-20 EOS to the EOS mainnet. And so they brought a case to arbitration, and in, in some instances of arbitration, if you successfully um, arbitrate against someone and win that case, that person should pay your arbitration yes. fees. However, in this case, what happened was they had a person who claimed ownership of an account, and they were unable to get in touch with the person on the other end of that account currently holding the keys because accounts on EOS are pseudonymous. So what did they do? Well, they they put out a um, an announcement on the ECAF website saying, we're going to rule on this account, expecting that maybe the person would come across it. They didn't. And then they sent some memos to that account. Now, this person could be on vacation somewhere. They could be account. not paying attention to their memos. Maybe they haven't checked their EOS wallet, whatever it may be. And so as a result, one, they never got any input from the counterparty. And two, that counterparty who was successfully arbitrated against, who in most cases should have to pay the arbitration fees, well, they didn't, they weren't around to pay them. So the person who in, in, uh, initiated yeah, the, the case... It doesn't make any sense. And, and even if it is clear as day, my voice is starting to go. Even if it is clear as day that this person was scanned, this cannot scale, nor can you argue.
arbitrate theft past accounts that were, that were created at Genesis. Because there's nothing to connect them to. The only reason yeah. why this works is because they can point and say, look, they have ownership of the Ethereum registered address associated with the EOS one. Beyond that, it's not. It's never going to happen. So I think it's really, really important for people to consider one point, which is that the, at the end of the day, EOS, it's got a lot of cool features that can make it really great for users, but it is a public blockchain. And so the, the only way that a public blockchain can objectively prove ownership is through the ownership of a private key, public key cryptography. If you, if you want to prove that you own an account, you have to control the, that private key. And the protocol can only prove ownership in that way because it's the only objective way. Any other way of trying to determine who controls an account is totally subjective and it doesn't scale. So I think what's interesting is this like, it's like we like some of the stuff about arbitration ECAF, but we hate other things. And whenever that reversal occurred, it was celebrated. Not, our, not, not our, by not us. Our no, okay. not, not our, just by our some, reverse. but not guy, you guys. The people that were celebrating it are tone deaf. So whenever I said, I, I keep coming back to compensation because I have never really dug in the ECAF too much. And like, it, I don't think I'm the only one that's like this black hole where people know they exist. I've dug in, but it's a black hole. hole. So when we get to compensation, so they get compensated for taking a case. Finally, but the biggest, uh, the, one of the big issues is uh, like, you guys say that the block producer's role is to educate the community. And then you also stated that ECAF's done a very bad job at explaining what their role is or how they're elected or what they do. Where does that budget come from? Who, whose so, job so is the it way that arbitration them? should work is that there shouldn't be so the, the the way that arbitration is structured right now with ECAF as the default arbitrator is kind of like a state-run service like that's the analogy you can compare it to so it's like an underfunded like state-run you know bureaucracy and what it really what we really should have is a free market for arbitrators that are opt-in so ECAF can be one arbitrator Materium can be another um, Deloitte can be another and you can ha as users say if we're going to do business on the blockchain. We're going to opt into using Deloitte so by as default, our arbitrator. You have no arbitrator. No so arbitration. you have no rights. If, if you get scammed, you get scammed. Because you but choose to take on that risk. So it comes down to the UI of the wallet providers They're to make different. it easy to opt into this. And it, yes, and in the future, yeah. most users are going to either use a third-party custodian, or if they do choose to self-custody, they're going to have to take on those risks. EOS has amazing features on the back end, like the owner key and active key and account permission system and delayed transactions and trust friend trusted account recovery trusted account yeah. recovery i mean it's, it's, there's amazing features that can allow us to make eos the most user-friendly blockchain in history without an arbitrator at the base layer well safest i don't know if it's user-friendly yet but we're working on it, it at, right now it's the most user-friendly i think I, I would say so but it's I, uh, it but it's safest device. i mean yeah, yeah. so who who time slots, but whose role is it to, for, to educate the community on ECAF? There's because no one they, better positioned than ECAF themselves, and yeah. we've, I, I've taken it upon myself to dive into this because at launch, there was the fumble of the blacklisting of accounts and ECAF abdicating their, their responsibility to handle all that, uh, and, and, and so that's why EOSDR has put out a number of proposals to what Miles was discussing about free market arbitration to be able to like have B to B, B to C contracts that explicitly consent to arbitrating any kind of dispute. But it should be ECAF, but they're not doing it. 
So how, how do we change it? Is, refer is referendum the solution? I think referendum is the solution because the solution is to adopt a new version of the Constitution that does not include ECAF. ECAF's authority, as it stands right now, comes from the fact that in the Constitution that was um, included at Mainnet, they were they were listed as a default arbitrator. Version two of the Constitution that we adopt as a community should not include a default arbitrator. And we're gonna we're gonna put out a lot of educational materials specifically about this subject because we feel really strongly about it. So I don't even know what time it is. I don't have a clock, but I, I do know uh, we do have to sit with a schedule. This is fun. Is there anything else you guys want to kind of say that you guys are doing or want to let anyone know before we kind of wrap up? Sure. Uh, we're working on a hardware wallet. It's going to be the most easy to use, user-friendly, EOS-dedicated hardware wallet for use with dApps. Just going right into the commercial here. Um, and uh, it'll be, we're, we're aiming for February to release it, and we're, take, we're going after Ledger in terms of usability. Super excited for that. Uh, for us, we're, we're, education has always been our main focus, and specifically, uh, now that we have the referendum um, coming online, we're going to take a really, um, we're going to really focus on education around governance specifically. So, if you guys are interested in learning about some of these issues and going a little more in depth on them, come to our website AuroraEOS.com. You can find all the ways to reach out to us, and uh, let's get let's get you involved. This is fun, guys. You guys, uh, so us. Th this is basically if we were like over there talking, we probably would have had the same conversation probably and that's literally how this podcast got started uh, at the, when we started this podcast Rob still owned and worked with me at ICO Alert and we just literally sat next to each other and we would just talk about this kind of stuff all the and time you're like we should record we these. should record this and that, that's what this turned into so I hope everyone watching or listening enjoyed it uh, I think this should just be a recurring thing at conferences absolutely yeah I, I think it's cool because it's unique it, it, it's like more flexible than what a panel discussion would allow yeah and it's, it's really just conversation and there's conversations that I have here that I'm like it would be cool for the community to like even I'll stand and overhear two other black producers talking I'm like wow it'd be great for the community to hear this conversation because it's important so all right round of applause round of applause great job. right thanks for watching and listening thanks thanks everybody oh, great.